Campbell blows out North Carolina Central kind of shockingly, but let me tell you how the ripples of this loss extend to South Carolina State and Jackson State. Oh yeah, it's Locked on HBCU. Play my music. You are Locked on HBCU, your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, family? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked on HBCU podcast, your number one. Daily one-stop shop for everything HBCU athletics, Monday through Friday, part of the Locked on podcast network, your team every day. And I, of course, am Darian Gray, a.k.a. the Mouth of the South, Texas Southern alum and former TSU Herald Sports editor. Thank you for going on this journey with me, making Locked on HBCU your first listen of the day every day. And remember, just because the mic cuts off, does not mean that the journey's over. It just means it's time to follow me on Twitter at South Exclusives. And today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. I wanted to drop the overlay again because it looks just so nice. But Bet Online has you covered this season with more odds, props, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. And one of the more shocking games was not just how Prairie View dominated Grambling in the first half. No, no, no. The most shocking defeat to me, even maybe over Lane versus Tennessee State to a certain extent, was the way that North Carolina Central got absolutely beat down by Campbell in the first half. And that really extended through the rest of the game. But we're going to focus on the first half because you can tell the story of an absolute annihilation by only focusing on the first 30 minutes of this game because that's when this game was started. And this is when this game really finished. It might have ended 60 minutes throughout the ball game. However, the outcome was pretty, pretty certain, pretty set in cement at halftime. And that's why I'm going to focus on this first half against Campbell versus North Carolina Central. This was shocking, man. I thought that Central was going to win this game. I didn't know Central was going to win this game, but I felt like they were going to win this game. And I thought that Campbell was going to be a good game for them. I thought it was going to be a really quality win. If they did lose, I definitely did not expect it to be like this. And really, they got ran through. The running game and the absolute domination on the ground is what really led to North Carolina Central getting blown out in the way that they did. What you have to understand is that there was an offensive boom from the very beginning, right? Uh, at halftime, the score was 34-6. to six. For Campbell. And for me, that score really reflects an atypical performance on both sides. Like, this is not what we're used to seeing from Campbell. If you go through and look at their schedule this year, this for sure is not what we're used to seeing from North Carolina Central. I think we all know that. We don't have to go back and reflect. But 34 to 6, I mean, if you're going to lose, 34 to 6 is, you know, it's a blowout. But you would think that's the final score. So let's get into it. 34 points is five points higher than Campbell has scored in a game all year. You go through all the other games, the full 60 minutes. This is five points higher. Up until this point, the most they had scored was 29 in 60 minutes. They did 34 in 30. You look at 34 points for Campbell, that's seven points higher than North Carolina Central has allowed in a game all year. That's through 60 minutes of action. 
Like we have to understand the way that Campbell was able to put points up and dominate a defense that we have not seen this happen to all year is ridiculous. And the fact that they have these amount of numbers, like I'm about to rattle off numbers that are going to sound as if I'm talking about full game. I'm just talking about a halftime. I made sure because I knew once was halftime hit, I said, yeah, this is over. They're not coming back. I could tell by the way it was happening. I made sure to write down all of these stats and fact check these stats and see where they stacked up to full game performances for both of these teams. So I wanted to make sure I looked at it and I felt this really told the story. 60 minutes worth of stats and 30 minutes worth of action. Now, if you want to see how they got it done, they got it done by the legs of Brian Barr. I'm talking about Campbell. So that's the Campbell running back who he wasn't getting touchdowns, not at first. But he was the man who was keeping that engine going on the ground. He had 16 attempts for 113 yards. So about seven yards per attempt, a little bit over. Not quite at eight, though. But you're looking at seven uh, yards attempt or just a little bit over. Yeah, about 7.1, I think. I love doing math on this show just randomly. But every now and then, seeing my mental processing is all right because I don't be getting too many too wrong. All right. But anyway, let's get into it. So. 16 attempts, 113 yards, really had that engine going. And mind you, these are stats at halftime. Last time I'll say that. Um, but two of the touchdowns went to LaMega to McDowell. So they weren't even getting Bryant Barr, Barr into the end zone. That wasn't his thing. He was just getting them down the field. Now, he did get rewarded with a touchdown right before halftime. But overall, he wasn't a bell cow for scoring. Both McDowell and Barr had over seven yards per carry. Then you throw in Hodge Malik Williams at the quarterback position when he ran the ball. He also had over seven yards per carry. So we're talking about efficient stats. We're not just talking about bulk. Like we can have a conversation of, oh, if I run 30 times and I get 100 yards, that's not as impressive. You know what I mean? That's not as impressive as a guy who ran seven times and had 58 yards. We see more bang there. Now, you can get into the context of how those yards were gained and things of that nature, of course. However, the fact is the yards per carry shows an efficiency that Campbell was having on this North Carolina central defense. And honestly, if I'm an opponent, I'm running on them. That's, that's the first thing I'm doing. I don't really care. You're not as good as Campbell. I don't care. I saw these teams get ran on, so I'm going to run on these teams. I saw these teams get passed on, so I'm going to try to pass on these teams. If I see a hole, I'm going to try to see if I can come in and I can say, all right, this might not be my strong suit, but this is your weak suit. Let's exploit it. That's my mindset. So even if these teams aren't as good as Campbell, you still have shown that you can't stop the run on a, re on a uh, repeated basis in a game, so now people are going to come try to get at you. 205 yards on the ground in the first half led to 50 plays in a three-minute edge in a time of possession. So you're looking at a dominant running performance, but then also you had a couple of interceptions by Davius Richard in the first half. You know, and, and, and let's be real, Davius Richard has now thrown two interceptions in his last two games. One was against uh, Virginia Lynchburg, so we're not really holding it against him. We're not really thinking about it. But he's now thrown four interceptions in the last two games. And we'll see if that's something that we need to look out for. But I will put it on the table. Like, I'll put it here and I'll allow you to decide how much weight it should hold, how much you want to care, how much you even want to look at it. But I will give you that information. And we're going to talk about the ramifications of this game because the ripples are felt not only for North Carolina Central, but then also for South Carolina State within the division or within the conference, excuse me, 
and then Jackson State in the SWAC, that might be the one that scratches your head, but I'm going to explain all three of them as we continue with Locked on HBCU. But first, our partners at Nissan have worked with us to create a new segment across the Locked on College Network titled Thrilling Moments, where we highlight the most exciting play from whatever game throughout the HBCU landscape because we have a lot to choose from or throughout the history, it doesn't matter. But this week's thrilling moment comes from the Prairie View versus Grambling game, and it's the punt return that hit the helmet of the Grambling player. That was a play that didn't quite stop the momentum, but it took away all the hope of Grambling making a comeback. That that play right there was crazy to watch. It was a question if it, if it had even hit that player. And then to see it be a touchdown that just squashed all Grambling momentum and all Grambling hope, that was our thrilling moment of the week. This segment has been inspired by the thrilling new designs featured across Nissan's new lineup of vehicles. Pursue what thrills you in the all-new Frontier, Armada, or Pathfinder today. Available now at NissanUSA.com. As we keep on rolling on today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day. Every day in today's word of the day is onus, meaning a responsibility, burden, or obligation. There's three teams that I feel like are affected by this loss to Campbell. Only one team has the actual loss on the record. Only one team has to have the actual impact to their team, and that's North Carolina Central. And we'll start there. But when it comes to South Carolina State and Jackson State, the conversation, the discourse, the way that fans are going to get to chirping and discussing these games are going to be a little bit different. But let's get into the most important one, right? Because, listen, ain't nobody affected like North Carolina Central. Everything else is ignorable. When it comes to North Carolina Central, it isn't. And I'll talk about the one that's concrete. Their momentum is done, right? Like, you have to restart. I don't think that it's incapable of happening. I really think it's going to happen. I still have a lot of trust in North Carolina Central. I still think they're the best team in the MEAC, right? They've shown me that more than they haven't shown me that. See, we we have one game against Campbell. We have one game against Campbell where they get beat down. It was a bad loss. However, does it take away from their games against New Hampshire? Does it take away from their games against North Carolina A&T? What does it do? Like, how much are we going to weigh this really bad performance? I, I will admit that. But how much are we going to weigh this one loss against the four victories that they've had? We've seen North Carolina Central play really good football more than we've seen them play bad football. So let's remember that. Let's remember that and not jump off a cliff. However, the momentum is stopped, right? This is a momentum uh, stopper. You just have to get it back going. You got to crank your car back up now, right? When you park, your momentum done. Now you got to put the car in drive and you got to keep going, but you have to build it back up. You can't just... Oh, man, yeah, we lost that one game, but we're right back. No, you have to build it up and get back to that momentum you had when you were 4-0, when you were knocking off a top 25 team in the nation. You have to earn that back. But the way that it's changed, that's a little bit less concrete because, you know, I'm not saying the confidence is gone from them, but the momentum is done. That's something that the team actually will feel. It might not be physical, but it's still tangible. I can't touch it, but I can feel it. I know the momentum is stopped, and I know they have to feel something of the sort right but into something that they can't touch they can't feel something they can really ignore is now the discourse and we're going to get into that for them the bulldogs and the tigers but i'll start off with the eagles the conversation is a little bit different 
there's not so much concrete belief that they're the team to beat in the MEAC now. I still think they are. Like I said, they played good football more than they played bad football. And the truth of the matter is, none of these five games, not the first four they won, not the last one that they lost, none of these five games really impact whether or not they win the MEAC. However, before this game, oh, they were the foregone conclusion. Now people sitting here, I don't know, man, the MEAC's up for grabs and things like that. And it's just like, y'all wasn't talking like this five days ago. Y'all weren't. Y'all were not, y'all, if you were saying it, you weren't saying it as publicly. It wasn't getting as much traction. There weren't as many people agreeing with you. Like, let's be real. When we hear things on Twitter, somebody says everything, right? There, there's whatever side you're on, there's somebody speaking on the opposite. There's somebody who says everything. But the reason you start seeing these things that are in opposition to you typically is because more people are agreeing. More people are putting them on the timeline. You know, that tweet that has no retweets, no likes, nobody sees it unless you follow that person. Or you search for that thing. But once you get five retweets, 10 retweets, now more people are seeing it. 10 turns into 25 and things of that nature. So now this opinion is more widespread. Now I get to see that people are doubting whether or not North Carolina Central is the best team in the MEAC. And the biggest benefactors of that, I guess in a way, would be South Carolina State. Because I think many look at it as a, a two-team race. Norfolk is not even in this conversation. Um, some people are high on Delaware State maybe, but I don't think they're as championship high and then with Morgan State I think a lot of people believe next year is going to be that year for them so now you look at it Howard I saw Coach G mention Howard right because people had uh, high hopes for Howard coming in and it hasn't hit MEAC season yet but for the most part it's a South Carolina State North Carolina Central race for the MEAC I think in most people's mind well when you start questioning Central the next person that comes up is South Carolina State they're the biggest benefactor from it and I don't know if these people have been talking like this for a while I, psh, I haven't heard it but maybe just maybe after North Carolina Central lost in the way that they lost some South Carolina State fans some South Carolina State believers because they aren't the same people all the time maybe they now feel the ability the confidence to be as vocal as they want when saying South Carolina State is the best team in this conference and guess what in a couple of weeks when the MEAG play starts and we get to go through that we'll be able to see who is really the best team in this conference. So it's clear. We get it. North Carolina Central lost. Momentum stopped. People question just how good they are. And if they aren't just as good as we thought they were, then the next person who will benefit is South Carolina State. But how does this game send ripple effects to the SWAC and Jackson? It's all about conversation. I've been trying to tell people. I said this when Jackson and y'all might not believe me because I said something about Jackson State scheduling a couple of weeks ago that I think people misinterpreted. However, I said this when the schedule dropped. Campbell is a good game. If you beat Campbell, that's a nice victory. I said this when North Carolina Central was playing Campbell. Campbell is a good victory. But now, Campbell has knocked off Central in a way that nobody saw coming. They look dominant. The HBCU landscape saw them look dominant. And now it's, oh, they can beat Jackson State. Let's be real. You're looking at this schedule. They ain't anybody on this schedule that you really feel like is a threat to Jackson State coming into the season, aside from FAMU, dispatch them. And then now Campbell. This is the biggest perceived threat going into a game for Jackson State since week one. I don't think there's anybody else who you look at and you're like, oh, they might get them. Maybe Tennessee State. Maybe, maybe Tennessee State. Let me not disrespect the Tigers, but we've seen what happened with them. So I think that this is the biggest perceived 
um, game or opponent, the biggest threat going into a game for Jackson State since FAMU. And I'll say that again when October 22nd rolls around when we talk about that. That will be our game of the week. I'm telling you right now. As long as Campbell doesn't lose another game, that's going to be a big game matchup. And if Jackson State wins, they're going to compare that to the performance of North Carolina Central. And I'm not, y'all know me, y'all know where my allegiances lie, Texas Southern. I have no reason to try to make it seem like the world hates Jackson State. So don't come to me saying I'm that kind of guy, I'm trying to spin that narrative. No, I'm calling it how I see it. People weren't respecting Campbell. Then they were. So if now all of a sudden if Jackson State wins and they try to spin it like Campbell wasn't really that good, you hating. The majority, I don't know what every single person said, but the majority now kind of feels like Campbell is for real and can give Jackson State a fight. Maybe they just want them to give Jackson State a fight. I don't know, but I do know the conversation around Campbell and the Camels, that's their name, the Campbell Camels. <laughs> but the conversation around them is that they are actually a threat to Jackson State. We'll see. But if they end up losing, Please do not spin it and say they still aren't playing anybody because Campbell is a good game and we'll see what happens with that. But that's how the ripple effect goes to North Carolina Central, to South Carolina State, to Jackson, Mississippi. This was a big game, a big loss. And I think it's something that really sent some shockwaves, some, some ripple effects across the HBCU landscape. And we'll see just how it goes as the season progresses and going forward. I want to talk about the NCAA rankings. We have our top five, the biggest riser, the biggest fallers, and then also a couple of teams that I just want to mention who didn't fall in either of these categories, but I just think they deserve to be shouted out. But before I do that, let's talk about Bet Online. And if you want to be smart, don't put your money on the Saints. Not yet. They haven't proved they deserved it. However, there are still 30 other teams, 31 other teams that you can put your money down on and hopefully win some. Hopefully win something. I'm here for you and they're here for you too. That's why they're going to give you news. That's why they're going to give you the best eyes. That's why they're going to have these in-between type things. You can have individual players. Are they going to have the over-under on the yards? There are so many things. My Pels played their first preseason game last night. NBA season is around the corner. Put some money down on the Pels because right now they feeling like my favorite team in the state right now. I'm just going to keep it real. They feeling like my favorite team. I'm walking over from the Superdome to the Smoothie King Center. But no, nah, they're not my favorite team. I'm still a Saint fan through and through. But they do feel as if they might be the more reliable team this year. We will see. And you should see on Bet Online the fastest and easiest way to wage on all of your favorite sports. Bet Online, where the game starts. And go Saints. Anyway, as we continue and we wrap up today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I want to thank you again. Thank you to my segment three folks. Let's talk about these NCAA HBCU rankings. Let's do that. Can we can we discuss how the NCAA sees this teams or these teams falling out? I want to start off with the biggest faller. And give me a quick second just to think about how much I want to talk about Tennessee State because they, they fell eight spots. They fell eight spots in this ranking this year or this week. The reason I'm questioning how much I want to dive into it is because we did it already. I've talked about Tennessee State and how they fell on yesterday's episode. So I don't want to throw salt into the wound. I don't want to add injury to insult. But the fact of the matter is I have to talk about these rankings. And they lost to Lane College in a game that they missed four 
key contributors. Let's not forget context. You know, I hate when people forget context, so I will continue to bring it up. However, you still seen a dominant performance by Lane's defense, and you saw them lose a game, and they're 0-5 now or 0-4 now. 0-4 is 0-4. You're in the middle of a seven-game losing streak. You have to prove to me that you can win, right? So with that being the case, they dropped eight spots. The biggest riser is Alabama A&M. And it's funny because... Um, they're still pretty low. They're still at 14, but it goes A&M, Alabama A&M. Then you have Bethune-Cookman, and then you have Grambling in the in the rankings. So you have the Bulldogs, you have Wildcats, and then you have the Tigers. And their reasoning for that was, well, Alabama A&M beat Bethune, Bethune beat Grambling. Alabama A&M, Bethune, Grambling. Yeah, I, I mean, I can get down with it. I can I can get down with that. But that's the biggest riser, and Alabama A&M rose four spots, so they went from 18 to 14, and that's because they were finally able to get a victory, and they were able to build on what was a start of a good performance. They didn't finish, but it was a start of a good performance at Florida A&M, or to Florida A&M, and now they were able to finish it against Bethune-Cookman. So now you see how they rise up four. I did want to mention one of the higher risers, but not the highest, was Morgan State, who dominated Virginia Lynchburg, Virginia Lynchburg has been being fed to HBCUs, you know, all the D1. I feel like, I feel like, man, they, their whole schedule might have been HBCUs, man. They, they just being fed. I don't think they won one of them. If I'm not mistaken, I think they lost to Union. Uh, they lost to Central. And then they just lost to Morgan State. So we'll leave it at that. But Morgan State has won two in a row now, and now they're rising. You know, I think there's a lot of optimism around Morgan State more than I thought there would be this early in the season. But I know that Damon Wilson is a fine head coach. Shout out to him. Seems like he got some momentum there. Now let's get into our top five. Right, We're going to get into our top five and then one extra team at the end before we wrap this thing up for real. Number one is Jackson State. They had a bye week. There was no reason for you to take them off of the top spot. After everything they've done, I think that maybe North Carolina Central would have had to have beaten Campbell, the way that Campbell beat North Carolina Central for this to even be a conversation, Jackson State is going to stay at one through a bye week. But now we have a change. Now we have the team I've been campaigning for since about week two, week one. Alcorn. Alcorn is the number two team. They jumped Central. This is amazing because Alcorn went from, I think they were just cracking the top five to now being number two. And the reason that they jumped them, they, they didn't play a game either. They also had a bye week. However, so it was a very inactive week in Mississippi. However, they said that North Carolina Central got beat the same or so badly that you had to drop them a spot. So it wasn't that Alcorn did great because they didn't play, right? So the onus is placed on North Carolina Central's bad performance. And that's why they dropped down to number three. You're still going to keep them high because look at what they've done. But that one game was enough to drop them down from number two to number three, but still a top three team. Number four, Prairie View. And who would have thought that the SWAC West would arguably be the best division, right? I thought that you would have seen, you had the quantity in the West. You know, I thought that those those four teams would be pretty good, or those three teams, really. And then Prairie View surprised me. I thought Texas Southern would be pretty good. I thought you had some quantity over there in the West, but I thought the East would have the two best teams. I thought you would have Jackson State and Florida A&M. I thought that Alabama State might be able to make some noise. And I think those, the first one and the last one are true. If Florida A&M get their stuff together, 
It might be the case, but right now you have two of the top five teams in the HBCU landscape coming from the SWAC West. I'll tell you right now, and these two are probably not the two I thought it would have been. Alcorn and Prairie View, and the only reason they say Prairie View didn't jump to three, so they really were upset with Central's loss to Campbell. But the only reason they didn't jump Prairie View to three is because when they started off the game, they were dominant. But when they ended the game, they couldn't get anything going. So I think that's fair. And we got to see the passing game happen more frequently. I know they can do it. I need to see it more frequently out of the Panthers. And then number five is Hampton, who were also on a bye week and just didn't do enough to lose their spot. So they're there at five. It's that simple. Um, I thought that Florida A&M at eight isn't low. I think it's proper. They're starting to heat up. They beat Alabama A&M. And now they came through and they beat Mississippi Valley. However, they were not as consistent. It's kind of similar to Prairie View. They weren't as consistent, and they got knocked for that. So that's why they're only at eight. However, I think you could see this team creep into the top five next week. All they have to do is beat South Carolina State. The winner of this of this matchup between South Carolina State, and I ain't going to lie to you, I ain't going to hide it anymore. That's our game of the week. The winner between the South Carolina State and the Florida A&M matchup will probably creep into the top five. They should jump Southern. That's fair, right? And then maybe even Hampton, depending on how Hampton looks. The winner of this, especially if either team is dominant, I think you'll see them creep into the top five in next week's HBCU rankings. I don't know if that's a bold take. I don't know if that's a hot take, but it's a take. So we'll see. I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every single day. And remember... For your second listen of the day, make sure you're checking out our conference shows. Friend of the show, Candace Cooper, got it right this time. Locked on ACC host, Chris Gordy, locked on SEC host. You got locked on Pac-12, locked on Big 12, locked on Sunbelt, holding it down with the locked on HBCU family for the non-Power 5 conference shows. And for tomorrow's episode, we're going to come on and talk about the games of the week that didn't quite make the cut, but there are still games you need to look out for. In the meantime, in between time, if you're looking for me, you can find me on Twitter at South Exclusives. Oh, I was so close. I was so close to pointing to this graphic. It was my first time in like two weeks. But in the meantime, in between time, if you're looking for me, you can follow me on Twitter at South Exclusives. Don't forget the S at the end. And in the meantime, in between time, if you're looking for me, take care. Stay blessed. Peace. In the meantime, in between time, if you're looking for me, you can find me on Twitter at South Exclusive. No points. All right. I got my little temper tantrum out the way. No points. <laughs> but until the next time that we hear each other, family, take care. Stay blessed. Peace.